0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. For this episode, Scott and I will be discussing the career of the Beatles, paying particular attention to the album's Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. As always, we will conclude with our popular Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Dan. And I'm Scott. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff
1: We Love podcast. Dan, it's great to speak to you again.
0: Great speaking to you, too, Scott, as always. It's a, it's a pleasure uh, having another uh, conversation about, uh, you know, one of our favorite topics.
1: I have gotten such positive feedback from some of our Twitter followers about the Beatles episodes we've had so far. It seems like people are really enjoying it, and it shows the timelessness of the Beatles' career, really.
0: Oh, without a doubt. You know, I, I think there's so many people still fans and interested and want to know more and, you know— enjoy listening to and having the, the, the same kind of discussions that, that we we've been having on, on um, the last couple of episodes. It's been a lot of fun for sure. And, and Dan, what have you been up to? Did you watch the Super Bowl the other night? Um, I did. I, I did. Um, I think I fell asleep through some of it. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it was a, uh, it was a rough one. I mean, I think all around presentation wise, you know, sometimes you have a game that's not so good, but the halftime shows is awesome and the commercials are great. And I feel like the whole package this year was just not, not great. And the Patriots won. So that just <laughs> kind of was the, you know, I guess the icing on the cake.
1: Super Bowl's over, and now spring is coming. That's the way the year goes. When the Super yeah. Bowl ends, the, the weather improves.
0: Super Bowl ends, weather improves, uh, pretty soon pitchers and catchers uh, report, baseball season starts. uh, So, Dan, before
1: we get to the uh, Beatles albums that you mentioned in the introduction to the show tonight, I feel like we should spend just a moment discussing what was some major Beatles news to be announced last week. Uh, For those that are listening that are not aware of what it is that I'm speaking of, it was announced by the Beatles that the film director, Peter Jackson, best known for the Lord of the Rings series, among other films, is going to be going through the footage from the Let It Be period towards the end of the Beatles' career and releasing what appears to be a new documentary film focusing on that period in the Beatles' story. Uh, The Beatles, and we'll get to this in our next episode, but when the Let It Be album came out, it was released in conjunction with a documentary film also called Let It Be, which I've seen. I think it's a good movie. It's, it has a reputation of showing the breakup of the band in full display. And for that reason, people believe the Beatles decided not to keep it available for public purchase, whereas A Hard Day's Night, Help, Yellow Submarine, those are all still available to buy. But in connection with what will be the 50th anniversary of the album's release next year, Peter Jackson is releasing this new movie, and they're also on home video, if I understood the press release correctly. Going to be re-releasing the Let It Be movie itself, so this is a very big deal. Uh, I did not see this coming, Dan. I don't know about you, but what's your quick take on this?
0: Yeah, no, I, this was a surprise to everyone. And in fact, in fact, I was um, listening recently to um, to uh, people talking about the, the re-release of you know the the uh, White Album and upcoming re-releases, and um, they were uh, concerned about um, what the Abbey Road. Um, re-release later this year is going to look like because there's there's really not a lot of, I guess, um, material from the Abbey Road sessions mm-hmm. um, that I guess is out there. A lot of the Abbey Road songs, um, with the exception of, of the ones that were newer at the time, were rehearsed during the Let It Be sessions. Um, you had versions of Oh Darling and I Want You, She's So Heavy, mm-hmm. Maxwell's Silver Hammer, uh, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. Those were all, a bunch of them were being rehearsed during the let it be sessions. And the thought was that they were going to be saving that those songs for the a let it be uh, box set. And then that would right. leave like slim pickings for an Abbey road box set. But now they're talking about, I think 140 hours of uncovered uh, audio recording that they've, that they've got now right. from the let it be sessions uh, with the additional 55 hours of video um, that Peter Jackson is going to be using to, to, to put together this documentary. So it's, it's a really, really awesome, um, find mm-hmm. and, and some great news. So it looks like we'll probably get a pretty nice, um, uh, Abbey road, uh, reissue, uh, anniversary package, plus what's going to come out with this new Peter Jackson, uh, let it be film and the re-release of, of the original let it be film, which, um, I mean, as, 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 as. Recent, as a couple of years ago, people were saying that we probably would not see a re-release of Let It Be in Ringo and Paul's lifetime, mm-hmm. and we're going to be seeing it next year, um, thanks to this newfound footage, which apparently shines a um, I guess a, a, a kinder light on the sessions. Uh, from what I read, from what Peter Jackson is quoted as saying, that um, there's a lot of the footage that really shows uh, the strength of the friendship and, and and the musical partnership between the four of them that was absent from the original Michael Lindsay Hogg film. Mm
1: -hmm. And there's a famous scene in the Let It Be movie in which the band is playing and Paul and George get into an argument. And the long-held assumption among Beatles experts is that one of the main reasons Let It Be was never reissued after its original release is that George and now his estate led by his uh, widow Olivia never wanted to give permission for the film to be released in the Beatles world. Nothing gets done unless all four have the final say of approval. Mm-hmm. That would be Paul Ringo, Yoko on behalf of John and Olivia on behalf of George. And people assume that Olivia was always voting no because she didn't want George to be portrayed in a negative light. I actually, having seen the movie, let it be. I didn't think he was, it, it was that bad. It was uncomfortable to watch, but mm-hmm. it wasn't this massive argument or anything like that. But it makes sense, Dan, what you're saying that, that, maybe the reason she agreed to have this released let it be re-released if, if we're right about this by the way I may be wrong mm-hmm. but maybe the reason she would have agreed to that is because the Peter Jackson release is going to be sort of a more positive spin on that period in the group's career yeah
0: yeah I mean possibly I mean I, I agree I, you know I've seen I haven't seen the whole movie but I, you know I've seen the footage and at a lot of that I mean that that particular encounter between Paul and and George is really things that you find when you're working collaboratively with uh with people and things get heated especially in bands Mm -hmm. you know and 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 i think um having you know been in bands and worked with people you have that conversation especially if you're working on someone's song where it's like you know i'll play whatever you want me to play or i won't play at all you just tell me what you want me to do right right and um and that's basically what that is you know I think there, I, I think, and we'll, we'll go into this next time too, about some of the feelings that were lingering. And, and, and George was obviously very frustrated because at that point he was a blossoming as a songwriter, produced a lot of songs and they just weren't getting on albums. And mm-hmm. He had to deal with, you know, every time he threw out an idea, you know, Paul at this time was getting into, and we'll talk about this I'm sure today, getting more um, controlling over his songs to the point where he would come in with demoed, you know, this is what the drums do, and this is what the guitar does. Is what the piano is going to do, and kind of telling them what they're going to play, and and that rubs some of them the wrong way, and and that's uh, that scene is it getting under George's skin. So it happens. And Dan, one of the things that I
1: sometimes have, I'm confused by, and I need to take a moment and sort of refresh it in my mind.
0: Let It Be was recorded before Abbey Road. Yeah, Let It Be was recorded. Uh, we're actually fifty years. Um, January, I think, thirtieth. Was fifty the fifty when they announced this? Actually, was the fiftieth anniversary of the rooftop concert? Yes. So uh, from January first, uh, shortly after January first, nineteen sixty nine, to the uh, the end of January, beginning of February, they were, were recording "Let It Be," mm-hmm. um, and then it, it basically lingered in a state of, I guess, limbo for most of, for all of nineteen sixty nine and a part of nineteen seventy. Uh, a lot of it due to just the bad feeling of. of the recording of it, they shelved it um, until they were actually forced to release it when the movie was coming out. Mm-hmm. And you know, United Artists was kind of getting on them. We need a soundtrack for this thing, and um, and that's kind of what pushed them to actually release it. Um, and then they went into the studio, recorded Abbey Road. Uh, and and, and
1: said, am I correct that, the te- technically speaking, the last track that was ever worked on by a member of the Beatles was "I Me Mine," which appears on "Let It Be." They may have been, there may have been some touch up work or final work done. So it, that's where it even gets a little bit more complicated.
0: Yeah, well, we're, I, we're gonna we'll talk I think a lot next episode about this. And right. You know, for one of the things that people don't uh, don't realize is uh, John effectively left the Beatles in September 1969 shortly after uh, Abbey Road was released. So from September 1969 to May mm-hmm. of 1970. um the Beatles were John, were, uh, were Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and, and George Harrison. Right, that's right. Um, and and the last recordings that we have, the la- the work on I Me, Mine is only the three of them. So Dan, let's, uh, let's begin our discussion
1: tonight where we left off in our previous episode, 1964 has come to an end. Christmas is done. Beatles for sale has been released. And it is time now to get ready for the Beatles next film. We won't talk about Help the Movie uh, because while well, I actually do like much of it, the focus of these shows is on the music, Mm -hmm. but there is this accompanying soundtrack also called help. This was for me personally, I think the second or third Beatles album I got back when I was first getting into the group. Uh, And before I share my thoughts on the album, Dan, I would like to ask you to tell us your thoughts on the album and how you think it fits in to what we were seeing from the Beatles output wise at the end of 1964.
0: Well, I I think um, Help is is could definitely only be des- de- described as a transitional album um, when you look at it in the context of moving from the early Beatles sound to things like Rubber Soul and then later Revolver. Um, Help is where they make they start to make that change. So you see uh, remnants of the old sound building on some of that. Um, more kind of folk acoustic influence that was starting to creep in Mm -hmm. to Beatles for sale. Um, But also moving ahead to the more sophisticated things that they were going to be doing in the next couple of albums. Um, I mean, help is where we start to see George become interested in Indian music is actually on the set of the movie. It's kind of like a a precursor to almost a Monty Python in a way is that, kind of silly yes off kilter British humor um but uh there's a scene where they uh, go to uh an Indian restaurant and there's a band um playing sitar and tabla and they're playing hard days night (laughs) on on the Indian instruments and uh, it was during that filming of that scene that George started to kind of look around and get interested in the um the sound of these instruments these new instruments and then went exploring from there right and um and then we kind of see uh, Ticket to Ride is actually one of the very early examples of um, an Eastern sound in a rock um, rock song, or a kind of like a raga sound. Are you uh, talking
1: about the, the guitar that just keeps on pulsating throughout is, the song?
0: It's a combination of um, the, the 12-string pattern that George is playing on the Rickenbacker. Um, there's a continuous almost droning on, on a single string Mm-hmm. Um, that John is playing on on a on his uh his sixty one Fender Strat, right? Uh, the broken drum pattern that Ringo plays throughout the verses, um, that is all kind of gives you this kind of Eastern Indian raga feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get to the middle eight in the outro, it goes back to kind of your straightforward, almost country tinged right. rock. But those verses, we get a little bit of a of, a, of an Eastern um, Indian flavor in that, and it kind of starts to lead point the way towards you know Norwegian Wood and some of the other tracks that we're going to see in in the albums that come next.
1: It's interesting Dan that you you make that last point about pointing the way towards future releases like no- Norwegian Wood because when I was thinking about these albums we're talking about tonight to me every album feeds into the next. In other words, it would have been very difficult for the Beatles to jump from something like Beatles for Sale all the way to Rubber Soul. Help to me is kind of like the album in between that lays the groundwork for Rubber Soul uh, because mm. there's such an evolution in the albums, not just in terms of musical arrangement like we're just speaking about here, but in lyrical composition and sound of the albums. Each one makes its way to the next. And you're right when you say that the Indian influences that George was introduced to, to during the Help period help lay the groundwork for Robert Soul, and then help lay the groundwork for he, how he uses Indian instrumentation on Revolver and then Sgt. Pepper's. It's this real development, which is fascinating. And Ticket to Ride probably is my favorite track on Help. I'm normally able to point to some of the lesser-known songs and say, ah, oh, that's my favorite. I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything like that <laughs> by doing that, but I have to say Ticket to Ride for me is one of my greatest – My favorite songs of all time, definitely one of my favorite Beatles songs. And there are several other hits on Help the Album, which are extremely recognizable. You have the title track, Help, you have Ticket to Ride, and then we have to address the classic track, Yesterday, which the story has been told many times. It seems like every time Paul McCartney gives an interview anywhere, he tells this story how he woke up while sleeping with this melody in his head that he didn't know where it came from. He ran the melody by other people to see if they were familiar with it, and nobody was. And while he was working on the lyrics to the song yesterday, he used silly words where the title of the track was Scrambled Eggs. He did perform Scrambled Eggs with Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show a couple years ago. It may even be the most famous Beatles song of all time, which is ironic, since Paul is the only Beatle on the track. Uh, George Martin arranged string instrumentation to help enhance the listening experience Uh, and it's just a classic it's a standard it's a beautiful song uh, melodically and lyrically it's been played on the radio more than any other song in music history it's been the subject of cover versions by a whole diverse set of artists and many different genres of music and it's a great song don't get me wrong it's the type of song that I love to listen to but I also like to take breaks from because when I come back to it after not hearing it for a while it kind of hits you just how good it is I love on the Beatles Anthology, too, how you're able to hear a little bit of the development of the track yesterday and see how the song evolved into the finished product. And I love the sound of Paul's vocal on the track. It's classic 1960s Paul. It's clean. It's elegant. It's very smooth. There's this yearning in his voice when he hits some of the high notes, but it works really well. Uh, Dan, I, I know you love this song, but yesterday, quick thoughts on it.
0: Um, I mean, I think yesterday is, uh, without a doubt a classic, right? It's, um, it's, it, it shows the, uh, the, the sophistication in the writing, you know, it's definitely come a step up from, um, what we were seeing on please, please me. And, and with, with the Beatles and, um, hard days, night and, and Beatles for sale. So we see, um, you know, this, I, I, it did cause a little bit of, um, ill feeling in the group at the time that Paul was the only one on it. And, and it kind of was getting all of this um, attention and it has gone on to become, I think the mo- one of the most, if not the most covered uh, Beatles song, one of the most covered Beatles songs, if not mm-hmm. one of the most covered songs of all time. But uh, it is, I-, I agree with you on having to take breaks from it
1: mm-hmm. every
0: now and then it's one of those songs that you kind of have to, um, you know, put down and come back to uh, it. It outshines a lot of songs on the album that I also that I think are, are on par with it, but don't get as much credit. So uh, I feel like you've got to hide your love away. Mm, that's is, interesting. Um, on par with yesterday, doesn't hasn't gotten the same amount of airplay or the same recognition. But as far as showing sophistication of of writing, it definitely is up there. Certainly, the
1: uh, Dylan influence is very present in that track. There's
0: there's definitely a heavy heavy Dylan influence in that track, but it shows the fact that they they weren't just uh, it was not just John copying Dylan. It was it was John being inspired by Dylan right. and writing something that was you know unique to the Beatles and 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 had this this air of sophistication that wasn't present yet or hadn't really been present yet in their writing. Um, so it's, it's it's quite a an amazing track in my opinion um i yes, i also I agree think with you on
1: that yeah
0: you know, i also think i've just seen a face is interesting it's a great track too
1: do you put um, that on par with yesterday
0: no but i think it's it's, it's one of those tracks that we forget about interesting. um it's it, i think it's a solid paul track and it definitely shows uh paul's growth as well but when you have it next to yesterday on an album if you're going to look at the two tracks by uh, one writer and you're going to lean more towards yesterday But uh, I think um, I've Just Seen the Face is another great one that kind of gets overshadowed sometimes.
1: Now, Dan, one point I want to make for those that may have missed our previous episode. We are talking about the British releases. Right. In America, albums that were released during this period had different track lists from their British counterparts. So, for example, I've just seen a face. If I am correct about this, was the opening track on the American version of Rubber Soul? It doesn't appear on the American version of Help. Right. So, if you're wondering, wait, I've just seen a face. That's not on Help. No, it is on Help. It's on the British version of Help. Right. So uh, now, uh, I've just seen a face. For me, was a song that when I first bought the album, Help I got as a Gift, I was not familiar with. I had no idea what the song was. I didn't know anything about it. And I immediately took a liking to it because of the country sound, because of the instrumentation on the track. I love Paul's vocal. I love the flow of the vocal. It's a difficult song to sing because it's so fast paced. Not that I've sung with a band, but in the shower. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I'm able to... Uh, I've sung to my Twitter friends. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a it's a great song. I really do like it. Another track from Help that I do thoroughly enjoy is You're Going to Lose That Girl, which is track six on the album. In the film version of Help, you see the band performing it in a studio. Well Ringo, I think, smokes a cigarette, if I'm right about that.
0: Yeah, he's, he's, he's smoking a cigarette and... and uh
1: alternating between drums and bongos. Yes, alternating between drums drums and bongos. And this song to me is just a classic example of feel-good 1960s pop rock is the way I would describe it. I see a little bit of Beach Boys influence in the track based on the way that the band harmonizes behind John's lead vocal. I love the lyrics of the song because while it is a very poppy, enjoyable song, the lyrics are quite Intense. He's telling someone else, you're going to lose that girl. I'll make a point of taking her away from you. It's very, uh, it's interesting because throughout the Beatles career, now that I'm thinking about it, in some of these songs, particularly John's songs, there's this strong sense of melody. But if you actually take a moment to focus on the lyrics, there's this macho thing going on too. Another example would be You Can't Do That from A Hard Day's Night. I've got mm-hmm. something to say that might cause you pain if I catch you talking to that boy again.
0: Pretty serious uh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, John kind of sums up his, he talked about it a lot in interviews yeah, in, during the 70s. And, and uh, it, in his last interview in, on December 8th, 1980, that he gave, uh, he talks a lot about um, his emotional state in his 20s. And um, it, it's really summed up in, in, in a line from I'll Cry Instead. You know, I've got a chip on my shoulder that's bigger than my feet. He always talks about how he had this kind of chip on his shoulder and this this um, edge that comes out a lot in his songs. We don't see it a lot or as much in, um, in later Beatles songs um, because we start to see John kind of lose focus. I, this, I, this, I think, is our last period of John kind of really being the leader of the band. Mm-hmm. After this... After Rubber Soul, I mean, after Revolver, actually, uh, is when we start to see John kind of start to take a back seat and Paul starts to uh, take more of the, uh, more control of the band, get in the driver's seat more. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we can, that, I think that's because uh, you know August '66 is when Revolver's released. They go back into the studio November '66 mm-hmm. to start recording. Well, what would become Sergeant Pepper? They record Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane first. Mm-hmm. But December '66, I think it's November. No, it's early November '66. He meets Yoko Ono, and once yeah. he meets Yoko, mm-hmm. we start to see John's attention go go elsewhere, right? Um, and it's other things. <laughs> so <laughs> this is kind of our last period of John. 100% focused on on the Beatles.
1: Uh, Dan, another point I want to make for Help before we uh, turn our attention to Rubber Soul is that, if I'm right about this, I think I am, it's not until maybe Let It Be where we see the Beatles do covers of any songs. Uh, I think it, Help is the last album until Let It Be where they're covering tracks and the covers on Help Although they did on Rubber Soul, they didn't call "Baby Let's Play House," but on the track "Run for Your Life," they take some of the lyrics from Elvis's "Baby Let's Play House." But in terms of true flat-out covers, they have "Act Naturally," sung by Ringo on "Help," and the album concludes with "Dizzy Miss Lizzie," which was, I believe, a Larry Williams tune. Right. Um, I do like both those covers. I love "Act." Actually, I really do love "Act Nat- Naturally." "Dizzy Miss Lizzie" is okay. I love the uh, John screaming on the vocals. It's really, it, that. that's very yeah. cool. It works yeah. better as a studio track versus the live track if you watch some footage of them performing that song in the 1960s. That's just my personal opinion.
0: Yeah. But um, good. V- very good. Very good on the, um, uh, with the Plastic Ono band and, and the Toronto 1969. Yeah. He, he does. He, he, brings, he brings it out for that as one of the few, so- I think he says in the uh, intro, it's one of the few songs we can all play because <laughs> they were horribly under rehearsed. Yes, Uh, but it worked in that context with this kind of like we just threw this thing together and we're going to play for you kind of kind of band. But um,
1: hey, Dan, let me ask you a question. Would the Super Bowl halftime show have been better if Maroon 5 played Dizzy Miss Lizzie?
0: (laughs) I Uh, I don't know what could have made that that the halftime show better.
1: I think Twitter Uh, would have lost its mind. (laughs) Maroon Five, Adam Levine takes his shirt off while singing "Dizzy Miss Lizzie."
0: Uh, it's just you know I, I I'm gonna apologize to uh, Maroon Five fans out there. Although I feel like there's not a lot of Maroon Five out fans. Maroon you know, Five fans out there, it's more Adam Levine fans. You know they watch The Voice and yeah. yeah. I, I think
1: uh, we're getting off topic here, but I just want to say that I, I'm gonna defend Maroon Five a little bit. A lot of their hit singles are very catchy, but they're not they're not the Beatles. And they would they would agree with that themselves, by the way, they would they would say, of course, we're not the Beatles.
0: Yeah. But I I mean, at this point, too, you know, uh, their lead singer has been a television personality for the last couple of years. So they've kind of fallen into that. You know, it's like Mr. Irrelevant. (laughs) You know, you're like the band that doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) Although and then we'll get to Rubber Soul. There was a really great movie a couple of years ago called Begin Again, which features Keira Knightley, Mark Ruffalo, Haley Steinfeld and Adam Levine in a lead role. And his tracks on that soundtrack are phenomenal. Way better than a lot of the stuff with Maroon 5. So mm-hmm. check that out. That's the stuff we love in the middle. The surprise stuff we yeah. love.
0: Surprise stuff. You know what would have made a, a, a better bill for that halftime show, aside from you know one half of Outkast, if, if you had Maroon 5 and Sugar Ray? Right. That would have been like the, <laughs> the ultimate irrelevant bands from the 90, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, coming back to.
1: Where both lead singers are TV personalities. TV
0: personalities. Yeah. The Adam Levine <laughs> versus Mark McGrath. OK,
1: so my friend Dan. So let's turn out. I'm trying to think of a way to transition this. The inevitable Maroon 5 Sugar Ray Beatles discussion. After Help, the Beatles uh, retreated to the studio. They, of course, were continuing to tour. And their next release was Rubber Soul. And I would like to begin our Rubber Soul discussion by pointing out that for many people, this is their favorite Beatles album. I've heard several very knowledgeable fans cite this as their favorite. And perhaps for a time, it was even my favorite. I I do love it. It holds up extremely well. Uh, And perhaps this album can be defined as one of the essential folk albums of the 1960s. Not that every track on there is folk, but it fits very well within that period and i don't really know how we should begin our discussion of the album but i think what i would like to do is ask you dan uh, where you rate this album in your list of favorite
0: beatles albums i mean it's in the it's in the top 5 i think it's easily in the top 5 right it's it, it fluctuates for me I, my my favorite album is um you know I've talked about it being the white album mm-hmm. just because it was the first beatles album I really really listened to and I love the variety on it yes but then after that it after that uh, my second favorite is abbey road i'll talk more about that next episode mm-hmm. and then there's kind of depending on the moment it right. kind of flips between rubber soul and revolver mm-hmm. you know and then pepper is is uh fifth for me but um, not that i don't that I don't like pepper it's it's a great album um but I'll talk in, in a little bit about you know why I, my, I feel that way about pepper rubber soul and revolver I think kind of always kind of go back and forth but um it's it's definitely in my top five three or four depending and on rubber soul why don't you please tell us give us two of your highlight tracks in my life yes Norwegian wood is is on uh Rubber Soul. I I really, really like um, I'm Looking Through You. Yes. I think that's a top track for me. I I think if I had to pick two, it would be um, In My Life and I'm Looking Through You.
1: Both really great songs. In My Life is poetry. It for me easily is in my top five Beatles songs. I love the way if you want to see something really beautiful, the way the Beatles anthology film series begins which is the playing of that song while footage of the band Runs in the background. It's a song that John was writing about. I think it's really a flashback to his youth to his hometown of Liverpool, but it's universal. So people Uh are able to hear that song and relate it to their own lives. I remember back in high school, somebody we went to high school with, Dan, was talking to me about the song In My Life. And he said to me that every time his dad hears that song, he cries, which. That's actually one of the only things I remember about high school, to be honest with you that's <laughs> ask me what I learned in class I don't really I don't know, but that line I remember, and I wasn't even friends with this kid, and I know what he meant by that because anybody can hear that track and hear some of their own life in the lyrics of that song. Uh, I'm looking through you is one of the great songs. it's a Paul vocal, and a rubber soul, by the way, for me is an album. I think it's pretty obvious that Paul really is beginning to assert a major. Role in the group beyond what had been done before. If you look at the tracks in which he sings the lead vocals, like "Drive My Car," "I'm Looking Through You," "You Won't See Me," uh, "Michelle," and then you have for me one. Am I missing any there in my quick run through?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm, I was going through it in my head myself too, and 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 trying to uh, pick out. There's so many. It's another album where there's so many great songs on it. I mean, "A Girl" is a great track that's on uh, That's on that. Um, You have Nowhere Man on that. Uh, Think for Yourself is a a pretty awesome uh, George track. I love Paul playing the fuzz bass on that.
1: I love the sound of the fuzz bass on the track, but... On Rubber Soul, I do prefer the George track, If I Needed Someone. That for if me I Needed is a, Someone,
0: yeah. That's the next to
1: last track on the album. And I love the lyrics in that song. I love the version of that song that, I think it was Eric Clapton, or it was it Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performed years later at the concert for George? Whoever did the version of that song on that concert? I think it may have been Tom Petty. I think
0: it might have been Tom Petty.
1: Just a great track. Uh, Rubber Soul, you do also get the diversity of sounds. You have the Indian-influenced music like Ru- Norwegian Wood. You have Beach Boys influenced music in Nowhere Man with the Harmonies. You have the folk influence going on tracks like Girl, even um, Michelle. I, I don't know if Michelle's a folk song, but it's a beautiful song. And as someone that took French in high school, I could actually know what he's saying when it comes to the French. It, it's, an, it's a landmark album and it's something that the band like i said earlier in this episode tonight couldn't have done direct from beatles for sale they needed in my mind to do help before they got to rubber soul it's the, they they're continuing to evolve and become master songwriters and i and that's what they always were great songwriters but now we're getting into the master songwriter category i don't think a 1963 john lennon could have written in my life but 1965 john lennon having been influenced by the great
0: lyrics of Bob Dylan, could write that track. Right. I mean, and we're we're, we're not even, we're leaving out like, you know, if you take the singles into account too, you see more of the progression.
1: That's right then, yes. yes. I was actually going to mention that because so many of the tracks that are legendary number one hits were released as singles and not on any album. Uh, One example that comes to mind right away is We Can Work It Out, which was released in 1965. Great John Paul dynamic in there. People often like to cite that song as reflecting the contrast between John and Paul. Paul singing, Try to See It My Way.
0: Only time will tell if if I am right.
1: Why does he it your way? And so in other words, this idea of trying to work things out, whereas John comes in and sings, life life is is very very short short, and there's there's no no time time for fussing (laughs) and fighting, my friend. But it's a great song. It's very beautiful. And then you have Day Tripper and other tracks like that. So they they are now in the master songwriters, songwriters category. And there's not many artists from that period, just thinking off the top of my head, that come close to them. Brian Wilson is one of my favorite artists of all time. He's one of the great songwriters of all time. And he has written some legendary tracks emanating from that time period. But I don't know if he was at John and Paul level on as frequent a basis as John and Paul were at the John and Paul level, if that makes any sense.
0: I mean, I I think had Brian not experienced some of the things that he did, he would have been. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was, I mean, if we look at the the Beach Boys career at this time. Mm-hmm. This was where Brian Wilson was starting to hit a stride. Right. Uh, and it's it, it's great that we, you know, bring him up while we're talking about Rubber Soul because Rubber Soul for him was what led to Pet Sounds. He heard Rubber Soul and he was like blown away. And, and he heard the American version of Rubber Soul. So that's <laughs> right. not even anywhere near as good, in my opinion, <laughs> as the British version. But he heard that and he was like, Oh wow, you know that they're upping the ante. We've got to, we've got to do something better. We've got to kick this up a notch. We've yes. got to move away from songs about cars and girls. But you know, I, I think you know you got to remember, Beach Boys put out California Girls in '65, right? And musically, you know, just the intro of that song is kicking the game up in in a different direction. And we start to get. I think Rubber Soul kicks off this period. Um, among the Beatles and their their contemporaries of of one-upmanship mm-hmm. of someone puts this out, and then they hear it and're like, oh, we got to work on something better. And it was like, especially if you look at the the beach boys and and the Beatles, it was, you know, rubber soul and then pet sounds and revolver. and then that all led to pepper, right. Brian Wilson was working on smile, and that didn't come to fruition. And after that, you know, Brian was just kind of was fried out, and we all, know that story of of what happened in the later days of the beach boys but but this was an interesting time and 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 not just you know the beach boys but we look at like what the stones were trying to do what the who was trying to do and the kinks and all these other bands that were contemporaries of the beatles all trying to kind of pick off one off of one another and one up one another and Um, some great material released in that 65 to 67, 68 time span. Mm -hmm.
1: So a book came out a couple years ago, The Name of It Escapes Me, which argues that 1965 was the greatest year in music history, certainly in rock history. And what I did just for a moment here is pull up on my computer screen the Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles of 1965. And I'm going to go through some of these tracks. Uh, It's a little bit of a diversion from the Beatles discussion, but I think it fits right in with this Brian Wilson Beatles discussion we are having to a certain degree because it reflects what was in the air musically and what these people were hearing at the time. It also serves as a tremendous contrast to what's on the radio today, even though I do like a lot of the stuff today. But Dan, let me read you some of these tracks. By the way, you want to venture a guess as to what the number one Billboard year-end hot single of 1965 was? It's a famous song, and I don't
0: dislike it, but it's surprised to me. 1965? Yeah. I'm going to venture to say it's not a rock song
1: some people may consider it a rock song i think it's perhaps a little bit of a novelty song a novelty song a little bit the Why name of the, the, name of the Trump group Trump. has six <laughs> words in the title the name of the
0: group has six words in the title
1: correct what is it woolly bully by sam the sham and the pharaohs was
0: 1965 according really?
1: to wikipedia and the billboard list and we all that's Wiki- interesting yeah. i thought
0: that was earlier <laughs> i don't um, think so yeah, Wow. Yeah, that's kind of a not that that I can see it selling a lot, but that's kind of an uh, I would agree it's kind of a novelty song.
1: So, Dan, I'm just going to uh, go through a lot of these tracks. This is 1965. This is what was popular when the Beatles released Help and Rubber Soul. I Can't Help Myself, The Four Tops, Satisfaction, Rolling Stones, You Were On My Mind, We Five, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, Righteous Brothers, Downtown by Petula Clark, Help by The Beatles, Several tracks by Herman's Hermits, including Can't You Hear My Heartbeat and Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, Crying in the Chapel by Elvis Presley, My Girl by the Temptations was that Mm -hmm. year, Help Me Round to Beach Boys, King of the Road, Roger Miller, Shotgun, Junior Walker and the All-Stars, I Got You, Babe, Sonny and Cher. This Diamond Ring by Gary Lewis and the Playboys, Stop in the Name of Love by the Supremes, Unchained Melody, Righteous Brothers, Hang On Sloopy, the McCoys, Ticket to Ride, we talked about earlier, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, James Brown, Game of Love, Wayne Fontana, and the Mindbenders, Like a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan, California Girls, Beach Boys, Go Now, the Moody Blues, Eight Days a Week, which I guess was staying over from 64. And then you have, just finishing off the list, a lot of Herman's Hermits, which is really interesting. I know they were great, but uh, Nowhere to Run, Martha and the Vandellas. I like it like that, the Dave Clark Five. We got to get out of this place, the animals. The boy from New York City, the ad libs. How sweet it is to be loved by you, Marvin Gaye. That's just a sample of the
0: tracks that were on the Hot 100 list.
1: It's astounding. It, it's it, it, astounding.
0: It is, and it, it runs a, the gamut of kind of like music of sounds. Of the, You have a, some of those tracks that are really kind of rooted in early 60s rock. You know, some of them that if you if you ask me, I would have placed in like 63, mm-hmm. right? Or like 64. And then you have tracks production-wise that are totally looking ahead to 66 and 67. I mean, Help Me Ronda and California Girls stick right. out as non-Beatles tracks. Help Me Ronda with the fade-ins and fade-outs at the end. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of fades out and then it comes back and then it fades out and it comes back a couple of times before the song ends. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole instrumentation and production of California girls right um, especially in the intro you know we're seeing things that are it's like two different periods existing at the same time it's really an interesting year for for music just listening to that list uh, Dan you and I got into the Beatles in the
1: 1990s and we never had the experience of what of being what's known as a first generation fan being alive in the 1960s and getting to experience what it was like while the music was new. Uh, and I think that to think, just for a moment, after you, th- it, when you go through that list I read and you think about the Beatles tracks and the Beach Boys tracks we're talking about on the show tonight, to think that those were the songs coming over your local radio station compared to what's on the radio today. And again, I like a lot of stuff today, but it's just Oh, I can't even begin to fathom what that must have been like to be a teenager in the 1960s and hearing this music and to think about it from the artist's perspective too. All the stuff that was in the uh, the pot, and I don't mean the drug. I'm talking about like a, yeah. a pot where you spin things together and uh, music mixing together from different sounds. It's really, uh, and Rubber Soul, of course, fits into that. It's the Beatles' last album before they really get into psychedelia. I think it's fair to say. And one thing the Beatles did, I think more than any group of the 1960s, was reflect the 1960s in terms of their development mirroring what was going on in society. They always were rebellious, just if you look at, for example, their haircuts when they emerged in the early 1960s. But when the folk scene became popular, they began to write tracks that appeared on the Beatles for Sale, Help, and Rubber Soul that were of a folk sound when you get to the begin to get to the latter half of the 1960s which we'll do in a moment here when hallucinogenic drugs became more popular opposition to the war in vietnam everything that goes into summer of love psychedelic imagery the beatles led the effort there not just in their music but in their physical appearance the way they dressed the way their hair looked the facial hair that they had they really are perfect representatives of the 1960s in so many ways
0: Oh yeah, I agree. I, I'll talk. You know, I was going to talk about that with um, when we got to Pepper. Oh yeah, um, we'll know, return to-, to it
1: then, though, because I think it's an important discussion. I, I think it's mm-hmm. very important. Uh, Dan, anything you want to add about Rubber Soul before we turn to Revolver?
0: Um, the segue into Revolver is pretty seamless because there there are some people that and I think um, I don't know if it was Paul or Ringo on the anthology who said. Something along the lines of seeing Rubber Soul and Revolver as kind of like a, a part one and a part two. That was George, you know. Actually, that was George. Okay, so now, yeah, it's kind of like two volumes. Like, you know, do you agree with that? I do. I do see in in a way, Revolver is kind of a continuation of Rubber Soul, mm-hmm. but taking what they did on Rubber Soul and um, and taking it to a whole new level. I feel like we have filler tracks still on rubber soul a little bit where i don't think we have filler tracks a filler track on revolver
1: i'm gonna guess what one of those rubber soul filler tracks is in your mind okay what goes on
0: what goes on is one of them yes yeah. um the other big one is weight i think i mean weight is is a filler track in my not, mind not
1: to me my man not to me I, I do happen to
0: really like that song uh i i don't but, dislike it right um i just feel like it's i, and I think part of that probably is because it was a, a holdover from the uh, hard to, from the help sessions right and was recorded for help but wasn't released on help and, and saved for rubber salt right um, and there were a couple of other tracks that were recorded for help too that really would have been great on that album but were we didn't hear until the um, anthology mm-hmm. um, albums and that means a lot um, and if you got trouble um, if I'm not mistaken we record it during the sessions for help and um, right Probably could have taken the place of uh, You Like Me Too Much and uh, (laughs) um, what's the other track that I'm missing? Tell me what you see. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, (laughs) if you would have replaced those with um, a more polished version of That Means A Lot and If You Got Trouble, it would have been a a stronger, stronger side too.
1: Yes. Agreed.